we have reached the fourth Monday of the month and are now in the final lap with the finish line coming at the end of All Hallows Eve. Will we celebrate All Hallows Day? Between now and then, there's a lot to get through in as many installments of Charlottesville Community Engagement that I can put together between now and the time of disguise. I, Sean Tubbs. On today's version of this publication and podcast, Charlottesville is preparing to remove nine trees from the downtown mall. Two Charlottesville playgrounds remain closed while repairs continue. Time is running out to submit a poem to JMRL's latest poetry contest. Albemarle County supervisors finalize legislative priorities, and the Center for Politics at the University of Virginia takes a look at concerns about the upcoming election. In today's first Patreon-fueled shout-out, the Rivanna Conservation Alliance would like to thank everyone who participated in the recent Rivanna River Roundup. In all, 243 people helped remove 173 tires, filled up 148 bags of trash, and attended to 27 miles of river and trail. To help cover the costs, the Rivanna Conservation Alliance is selling t-shirts. Want to get involved with ongoing cleanup efforts? The RCA frequently holds maintenance days. Check rivannariver.org to learn more. Later this week, the city's Parks and Recreation Department will hold an information meeting on removing some of the trees on Charlottesville's downtown mall. Ryan Anthony is the deputy director of the department. We are very lucky and fortunate um, that the downtown mall trees um, have been in existence for this long. Um, uh, some of them are healthy, others are not healthy, but uh, per our urban uh, forester is that uh, all the trees are stressed. They're all stressed um, from uh, a number of factors. Anthony addressed the city's Parks and Recreation Advisory Board last Thursday. He said the number one factor are the tree grates that he said are squeezing trees that have outgrown them. He also said heaters for outdoor restaurants can cause stress. There's a lot of cafe spaces that also have uh, little lights that they use nails to um, um, put the lights on and stuff of that nature. The city has been studying this issue for many years, but action has not yet been taken. Anthony said the city is looking to remove hazards that might be in danger of falling. The ones most at risk will be removed over the next few months. These are trees that are the worst shape, and we are looking out for the best interest of our community and um, uh, um, of uh, the folks that work on the mall, the, 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 the community members, um, uh, and we do not ever want to see a tree just fall. In all, nine trees are slated to be removed. The first education session will be this Thursday at 5.30 p.m. via Zoom. Two in-person meetings will be held next week. Anthony said the city is also seeking a consultant to help come up with a replacement policy for trees on the downtown mall. The closure of city playgrounds at both Belmont Park and Mead Park will be a little longer than expected. The Parks and Recreation Department is installing new equipment at both locations, and work had been expected to be completed this week. 
However, installation of individual pieces is taking more time. Here's a section from a press release that went out Friday morning. We are extending the reopening date to tentatively November 4th, but may open sooner if complete. A Keaton Forest suite of playground structures is being installed at Belmont Park, whereas Mead Park will have the first modern city installation in Virginia. The Jefferson Madison Regional Library and Writer House have teamed up for a poetry contest that ends tomorrow. If you're over 18 and have one original, unpublished poem you'd like to submit, there's an online form that's taking submissions through tomorrow at 5 p.m. The theme is transformative change. Writer House Executive Director Sibley Johns said in a statement that for hundreds of years, poets have altered the course of history by speaking out about issues that concern communities. And the theme of transformation echoes that critical legacy of the power of the pen to affect positive change for all of us. This contest is now in its sixth year, and there are prizes for winners. For more information, visit jmrl.org slash poetry contest. There are 79 days until the General Assembly convenes for the 2023 session for the second year, with Glenn Youngkin in the Governor's Mansion. Last week, Albemarle supervisors finalized their list of legislative priorities that they hope to convince legislators to turn into a bill. Supervisors last discussed this list in September and extensively discussed a request to expand the number of virtual meetings an appointed body can have. Another of the priorities is to request the ability for counties to decide for themselves if they want to hold a referendum on additional sales tax to generate revenue for school construction projects. Stephen Rosenberg is the Albemarle County attorney. There are currently nine counties and one city in the Commonwealth which enjoy this authority to lever, levy an additional 1% retail sales tax, which is used exclusively to fund school division capital projects. Legislation failed to make it out of a House of Delegates subcommittee last year. Another priority is to request a change of the eligibility rules for sites to participate in the Virginia Business Ready Sites program. Currently, land in most economic development regions in the Commonwealth must be of a certain size to qualify, and Albemarle also wants to have that threshold reduced. There are not that many properties in the county that, do, that satisfy that 100-acre contiguous developable standard. Mm -hmm. Albemarle wants to cut that in half to 50 years, and Rosenberg said two Go Virginia regions already have that lower level. The Economic Development Office has identified sites that would otherwise fulfill the requirements but for their acreage. And I, I'll finally add on this item that there is one site in the county that does satisfy the requirement, and it's in North Fork, and the EDO is currently working with the UVA Foundation in seeking funds for that site. There will be one more discussion of the priorities in November if needed. Check out the newsletter for a link to two previous stories I've written that are on Information Charlottesville. But you are listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement, and in today's second subscriber-supported shout-out, 
an area nonprofit wants you to know about what they offer to help you learn how to preserve, protect, and appreciate trees. The Charlottesville Area Tree Stewards holds several events throughout the year, including a walk in western Albemarle County on the morning of November 12th through a well-preserved and highly diverse woodland to see naturally occurring winterberry, spicebush, and dogwood laden with red berries. In abundance will be nuts from forest oaks, hickories, walnuts, as well as orchard-grown Chinese chestnuts, walnuts, pecans, and American hazelnuts. Registration for this walk is limited to 18 people. And there's a link in the newsletter at charlottesvilleareatreestewards.org to sign up. There's also time for an online Zoom tree identification class tomorrow night. Tensions are running high across the country as Election Day approaches, and many members of one of the two American political parties continue to insist that the 2020 presidential election was stolen. It wasn't. The University of Virginia's Center for Politics held a forum last week to discuss the upcoming elections, and this was moderated by Christopher Krebs, who served as the United States Director of the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. He said much of the threat dates back to Russian efforts to hack the 2016 elections. I had three different components. First was attempts to get into voter registration databases and other systems uh, related to administering elections. The second was uh, targeting and hacking into political campaigns, the DNC, the Hillary Clinton campaign. And the third is this more pernicious, drawn-out disinformation campaign that's really rooted in the entirety of Russian uh, information operation doctrine going back uh, uh, really a, a century or more. Krebs said the Russian campaign was intended to destabilize democracy, and not much was done to shore up security systems. And there were domestic actors that saw the playbook run in 2016 and adapted it to their own measures. Krebs says he is concerned about continued efforts to falsely claim that President Joe Biden was not elected, as well as continued attacks on election workers. He said death threats are common. It's part of, unfortunately, doing business as election workers right now, and that is leading to uh, a, a retreat in exodus from the workforce, which in turn kind of turns out to be a form of, of almost voter suppression. That's because fewer election workers will mean fewer precincts will be open and there will be longer lines. Krebs said there's also a strategy to radicalize election workers. Barbara Comstock served two terms in the U.S. House of Representatives in Virginia's former 10th district. The Republican politician is now involved in Issue 1 and the National Council for Elections Security. I am, for the first time in my life, a single-issue voter. I've never been really a single-issue voter. I was a conservative Republican, but now my issue is democracy and before any other issue. And if you aren't going to respect elections and who wins and who loses, um, you know, you can't have any other issues, you know, before that. Comstock said she is concerned about candidates who have already declared they will not accept the election results unless they win. Those kind of situations are going to repeat themselves throughout the country, and we're a 50-50 country. I won my first election by 422 votes. Comstock said on that night she knew where the votes were coming in because she was familiar with how they were counted. She said many with conspiracy theories have never worked an election before. You know, and these were people who, you know, had never, just didn't understand 
anything about retail politics. You know, they were just people who were preaching to the choir, hung out with everybody who thought the way they did, and it never knocked on a door. Renee DiRista, research manager at the Stanford Internet Observatory, has been studying rumors that circulate online about perceived election fraud. When somebody believes that their ballot uh, has been invalidated because they were given a Sharpie marker at the polls, and they remember being a kid in school and being told you can't use a Sharpie marker on a Scantron, and then they believe that, that there's a vast plot to steal the election from them because that's kind of where the you know um, political climate is in this country at this point. Um, you know, th- th- that those claims tend to go viral, and so one of the things that we look at at Stanford is how those claims go viral, where, among what communities, where on the internet. DeResta said the Sharpie argument has come back again in Arizona during the 2022 race. She said she's part of something called the Election Integrity Partnership, which is a nonpartisan coalition to help groups that want to fight disinformation by crowdsourcing responses by helping to find the right messenger to convey correct information. That person who is a trusted counter messenger counter speaks to the people in their communities. They don't want to hear Stanford Internet Observatory thinks that your claim about Sharpie markers is wrong because like who the hell are we, right? We're ivory tower academics. We carry no, we have no trust. We have no resonance in that community. But the local election officials theoretically do because they're members of the community. Siva Vadhianathan, the Robertson Professor of Media Studies and Director of the Center for Media and Citizenship at the University of Virginia, said democracies have been under attack across the world in the past decade. He said a lot of this builds off the stoking of fears, and that's happening here with other Americans. We're now in a situation in this country of all countries where we don't have a romance of democracy. We don't have something that moves us to believe deeply in the power of each other, right, in the shared future that we all have, whether we admit it or not. Election Day is now 15 days away. This Wednesday, the two candidates in the 5th District will meet at Hampton Sydney College for the first and only campaign forum of the race. There's some information and a link in the newsletter and more in the next newsletter, and I hope to bring you that entire event. You can watch the entire Center for Politics event in a link in the newsletter on YouTube. But that is the end of this installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement. Monday will end and Tuesday will begin. And I am hopeful that there will be another installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement. There is so much to get through, and I'm grateful for paid subscribers who are helping me attempt to keep these stables clean. Do consider a paid subscription through Substack at either $5 a month, $50 a year, or $200 a year. And if you do that, Ting will match your initial payment, making it very likely I'll get to keep doing this for a while. That is my goal, at least. This work is how I exercise my love of democracy, by pointing out the decision points close at hand. I will try to resist saying what I think, because mostly what I think is how I can get this up to a seven day a week publication. There is enough to go around. If you do sign up, Ting will match your initial payment. I think I said that already. And even if you don't sign up for a paid subscription to the newsletter, Ting also would like your custom. And if you sign up for their services through a link in the newsletter, you will get free installation, a $75 gift card to the downtown mall, and a second month for free. Just enter the promo code COMMUNITY. Did you know that this newsletter is also the working script for a podcast? 
Well, of course you do, because you listen to this thing and you have been listening, so I don't need to keep telling you about that. But please, if you like the music you hear, it either comes from the Fundamental Grang or from Vrocky, a chameleon-like blender of sonic stylings. You can check them out on Bandcamp. More tomorrow. Thank you very much for listening and goodbye.